chapter 10. Um, Colleen was excited about this. Last week. <laughs> so um, if, you, if you knew what we're doing right now is is um, is we're we're going through the book of John and we would really love to have you have a Bible because we really just ju- we just walk through the word. So if you don't have a Bible, please just raise your hand. We'll gra- you can grab one. If you need a pen, if you need to take notes on the back of your um, your program is a little note page. You can write a little notes down. That'd be great. Yeah, there you go. And um we're going to jump right in. We, we did something a little funny. We went to, uh, we, we did chapter 9. Then you guys had a little homework. I don't know if many of us did it. Then we went back to 8 uh, last week. And now we're jumping uh, to 10. Uh, we wanted to show you guys how those two chapters uh, fit together and actually how 10 actually fits together um, with those two chapters. If we're all set, we're going we're gonna to jump right in and walk, walk through. And what I want you to be thinking as we're, as we're going through the Word, be thinking of a, a term that we're very familiar with, um, that I am the Good Shepherd. Just be thinking about what, what, what that means as we continually walk through the text and see different uh, meanings. Uh, Bucket? Oh, man, why are you going there? Um, <laughs> great question. I don't. He's, what did it mean? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and people try to make. I've heard, I've heard all kind of stuff, but you know that's that's the beauty. And here's what's cool about that question. So when you in Bible study methods, uh, a lot, I think a good the good way of of studying the Bible, and this is actually uh, what they call um, hermeneutics, rules of interpretation. Uh, and is this, this is his rules of how we study even historical books. Is you always start with the big picture. You always start general, what's very clear in the text, okay? And then you sort of scale to the in, to sort of the obscure. And what we do a lot of times, we've got to be careful with the scriptures because it's a supernatural book, because God has inspired it. And we are looking a lot of times, just as we look at a vacuum cleaner instruction manual, we're looking for the nugget. Like, I don't really care about the story of how you got the vacuum. Just tell me how to work this little part here. We're trying to find nuggets that we find ourselves focusing in on the obscure and not understanding the story. Okay? And, that, and that's, a, that's a recipe for disasters. And that's why we've got all these cults and stuff and all kind of crazy people running around here with a little Jesus and a lot of other demonic stuff. So we've got to be really careful. So just for all of us, when we're reading the scriptures, think about, okay, what do I see clearly in scripture? And then, you know, we can like, we can like laugh at the bar about, like, what was he writing? But we don't want to be teaching that up front because the Bible just doesn't tell us. So we have to like almost be okay with that. So that's a good question, man. That really helps us understand more of even how to how to study uh, the scriptures. So, uh, so in John chapter ten, thank you so much, man. We got a very a very a very cool passage. Um, this whole shepherd piece. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce around like crazy. So you guys you guys um, try to stick with me. Um, what he does here, we're gonna start uh, in chapter ten. And before we before we move on before we move, I'm gonna just I want to set the quick stage is is this whole concept of of sheep and in Palestine like for us I mean I got I'm, a, I'm from the city uh, so I don't know much about sheep so I was trying to do my due di- why are you laughing at brother I was trying to do my due diligence of understanding uh, this whole concept of a sheep and a shepherd Did, does anyone in here understand it clearly are there any farmers and not understand like this whole sheep shepherd deal uh oh. Now, wait a minute. How you going, Ray? Man, your dad been in Detroit for 25 years. Okay, so as long as we're on the same page, I'm straight. Okay, uh, 
Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to have a few comments. Now, if you're new here, um, please feel free. It's not a cultural pot for you to raise your hand uh, for us to talk about what's going on in the text. Um, just be thinking, will this help the rest of our body? And we would love to have you um, ask insight and provide insight because we want to learn together. We don't want to just be up here um, uh, kind of performing. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 3, and I'll make a few comments. Join with me as we read the first pericope. I tell you the truth. <laughs> that was, if you hadn't been here, that was a joke from last week, y'all. Pericope. Sorry, man. Nobody going to come sorry, back if you're doing that, E. Okay. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the, the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Thank you. Okay, so so the first, uh, so what I want us to see here is very interesting is that is that Jesus doesn't just, so this whole sense of, he says, I'm the, I'm the shepherd, right? So um, I tell you the truth, and whenever you see I tell you the truth in the scripture, it's almost like he's saying, um, how are we saying here? I don't know, like, like for real, or you better get this. Like, this is, you know what, like, I'm, I'm telling you. Like, this is like, this is serious business, right? Um, and, he, and he says the sense of that, um, that there's this, that when he calls his sheep, and I want us to get this, it's not that we have this picture, I think we can have this picture that Jesus is sort of calling for sheep, and then, you know, some, some come and some don't. But it seems like the scripture is teaching that Jesus calls his sheep. That's kind of different. I'm just, I'm just really trying to just have us, have us wrestle with what the scriptures are teaching, that he, that he calls his sheep. He calls specifically, and that he, and he knows who his sheep is, and they know his voice, and then they come running to him. That'll make sense in a moment. Um, but if you notice, he also talks about this issue of, of thief and robber. And what I want to do is I want to give us a little background. Um, in Isaiah 56, uh, verses 9 through 12, it says, Come, all you beasts of the field. Come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. So he paints this picture. Uh, we say, well, who are these thieves and who are these robbers? And obviously we know the main thief, right, is Satan himself. But it seems in this text here what he's doing is he's providing a contrast in twofold. He's providing a contrast of the Pharisees or the, the rulers or the, the gatekeepers, as it, will, as it was, of those who had the gate and the keys to usher people in and out of the kingdom. Right. Those people, these thieves and robbers versus Jesus, the good shepherd. And also there's this sort of uh, uh, contrast between the Pharisees who basically don't hear the voice. And the blind man who did hear the voice in the past chapter. So, like, when you go to it, and what I want us to understand, when you go to the scripture, don't just forget the last chapter, right, because this is the story. And so he's building on something. So there's a two big contrast that you're seeing in the text here. So he, so he says, he, he, he's, talking like, he's talking from this perspective of these, these people who are supposed to be the gatekeepers, but this is what he's saying they act like. Right, they're thieves and robbers. They're they're lazy. They're not doing their job. He says they are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. So he's talking about the leaders. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. We'll go there in a moment. Come, each one cries. Let me get wine. Let us drink our fill 
of beer, and tomorrow will be um, like today or even far better. And basically, we ballin', and maybe we don't even ball crazy tomorrow, is the whole point in the text here, that these leaders are, are doing whatever they're doing uh, for their own gain. Uh, so I would, I would be very clear, um, Isaiah 56, verses 9 through 12 is probably on the background here, but also you can write down Ezekiel uh, chapter 34 is another text uh, where he talks about the same sense of, like, bad shepherd. So what we're having here is Jesus saying there's this good shepherd, i.e. him, and then there's these bad shepherds. There's these people who, who come for the wrong reason. Now, let's continue on. We're going to go to uh, verse 4, if there's any, any question for any, uh, right now, but we're going to go to verse 4 through 6 and read that, then I have a couple more comments real quick. Yeah, buddy. You know what? That's another, that's another good question that helps you with some Bible study methods again. So when you think of parables, when you think of, of these stories, uh, a lot of times what we'll do, we'll do the one-to-one ratio. So we'll say everything we see in the scripture, like everything we see in the, the story needs to be, like, so if, there is a, if Jesus is the gate here, then he can't be the watchman here. That messes up the whole story. You see? But it doesn't. Because Jesus' point isn't to have a one-to-one ratio. Is that even as you see here, Jesus at some point is the watchman and he's the gate. Okay, and sometimes he's a shepherd. And so his point isn't for you, for you and me to say so. Like, so, for example, so who's a thief and who's a robber? And are there different people or the same? And if Satan's also, if he's a thief and a robber, then how can people be thieves and robbers? And we can go there and lose our minds. But his point is general. His point is basically that the watchman, I would say, is sort of the the trinity. Right. So you got because you got the watchman. Uh, who sort of is watching who's coming in and out. But then you got the Jesus being the gate, right? But at the same time, if you were to say to Jesus, so you're just the gate, are you the watchman? I'm pretty sure Jesus would say yes. But then also what we're going to learn in the text is that we also retell that story. And so we are also the shepherds and the watchmen. See, we, 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 when we read this text here, we don't want to go there because now we have a responsibility too. But I want to proclaim to you that that's very um, serious about Jesus saying, and proof is in Matthew 18, Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, also Matthew chapter 16. Um, you'll see this issue of Jesus telling us that we receive the keys of the kingdom uh, for the purposes of bringing people in and making sure people understand what does it mean to enter the kingdom of God. So to answer that, I know that is a long answer. Point being, um, it depends on where we're at in the text. Uh, right there. It seems that the, the watchman opens a gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. Um, it seems that the watchman is probably God, right? And that, and that the people who are entering in the, in the fold are, are us as believers, but we're going to see soon we're also shepherds. So just be really careful and let the scriptures interpret themselves um, and don't really paint a picture that you, you think what should happen in the text. Does that make sense? I would, say Pharise- I would say Pharisees, Sadducees, rulers of the law, people who had, who had the power to usher people into a relationship with the Lord and, and, and allow them to become proselytes, to say, wow, your God seems like the God I want to serve, and so I want to become an Israelite too. Those people are, are all under that category who are messing things up. Because it's known in antiquity that the Sadducees actually, not, you don't see this as much for the Pharisees, but in antiquity, in past writings, you see that the Sadducees actually did a lot of this for financial gain. And so you see they were actually, so, so part of their coercion was like, man, I, I want to I get paid. 
And so they, they really uh, didn't really care about the sheep and themselves. Um, and what's, what's cool about this is we're going to read verse 4 through 6, and I'm going to uh, share a little bit about uh, Palestine right quick. Thanks for the question too, buddy. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So, so in Palestine, I think, I think it's really cool. Uh, you had a shepherd, and basically what the shepherd, I think is powerful. And, you, and I've heard people say this. I've heard, like, you know, uh, these guys go over to Europe, different pastors and stuff, and they come back, and they say the most, one of the most amazing things is even today, uh, these shepherds can go out, right, and they can call their sheep, and the sheep knows that you can have a bunch of sheep. And and maybe 30 of them are the sheep of the of the shepherd, and there's 50 sheep, and he calls them, and 30, not 31, but 30 come uh, and follow the shepherd. In fact, uh, they've done all these different studies that even if you have someone else who's dressed like the uh, the shepherd, who has everything that the shepherd has on, and even does the same call but has a different voice, actually all that does, it's not even that the sheep just stand there; they actually run the opposite direction. Because they see there's a danger. That is not my shepherd. Something's wrong here. I don't know where to go, but I'm getting out of here. Is what, right, is what the sheep do. And uh, there's a powerful picture of, so Jesus painting a powerful picture here when he talks about this whole uh, sheep and shepherd deal. Um, yeah, a little Palestinian deal. So, um, so verses 7 through 10, let's, let's read through 7 through 10, and then uh, there's a, a lot of good imagery here that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna focus on right quick. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, so the, the whole thief imagery takes on a different, a different look. And what's interesting is he says in verse 8, if you notice, all, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. So before me, this whole sense. I think like, wow, that's kind of harsh language. Because he's talking about these, these Pharisees. And they weren't killing folks. Uh, and they weren't necessarily robbing. But it seems like, it, I think it points to the seriousness of the responsibility of a shepherd. That almost, almost their they're not doing what they're supposed to do was seen as was, they were castigated. They were they were they were rebuked as robbers and thieves because people, for whatever reason, um, maybe it was material gain or whatever it is, were not being ushered into the kingdom and were not being treated like they were supposed to um, as God's sheep. Uh, but there's three things that I want us to see um, in verse uh, seven through ten. The first theme is this is this reality of he calls himself the door and. Which, which, which really, uh, the same thought we see uh, as a ladder. Remember we talked about Jacob's ladder. If you read the Old Testament, you see this whole Jacob's ladder. You're always wondering, what in the world's going on there? But it's a beautiful picture of, of God saying that this ladder comes down from heaven, right? And that the angels are ascending and descending on it. And then basically Jesus says, I was that ladder. I'm that ladder. And that basically now that the heavens are cracked open and there's a ladder here and the way that we enter into heaven, the way that we have relationship with God is only through, uh, Jesus Christ. 
And so this whole door piece of Jesus being a door that only through him can we actually enter into a relationship and to enter any other way, to enter any other way, you are a robber and a thief. It's a picture that Jesus is trying to uh, paint for us as his people. So there's this issue of the ladder. And what I also love is you see this issue of freedom. Now, don't miss this, family. Don't miss the freedom of Jesus here. OK, look at look at the text here. He says and Eric was asking, he says in verse uh, nine, whoever enters through me will be saved. It's your salvation. Probably I'm pretty sure that's salvific language. He says he will come in and go out and find pasture. And it sounded like, well, what is he saying? Are you become a believer and an unbeliever again? No, no, no. Remember, the context is this issue of being a sheep. OK. And so the freedom of a sheep is being protected by the shepherd to come into their resting place, but to go out and graze. So it's not, this is not an issue of salvation. This is not about him saying you're not saved because you come in and go out. This, he's saying actually, he's showing us the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom to be safe. Now what I love about the freedom of Jesus is the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy, you think of, you think of even Adam and Eve. And we, we look and we go, man, they couldn't eat from that tree. But you never hear about all the other probably thousands of trees that they could eat from. Right? There's, no, there's no airplay about all what they could do. Right. You never see Adam and Eve talk about, man, look at all these. We always focus on what we can't do. And it seems to me so we would think, well, these sheep aren't free because they only can go certain places. But it is freedom, because if they had the freedom that they wanted, being dumb sheep like us, they will go somewhere where there will be harm and they'll be killed. And so the freedom that the shepherd gives them is a freedom that they can handle. The freedom in which that they know in, in this arena here, I can protect you and you will be not in harm's way. And then what we try to do, though, is we want to say, no, I really, I really want freedom. That's sin. It's when you and I try to get out of the hand of God and say, I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own God. And then we see what happens in our life. Downward spiral. And so the freedom of Jesus is, is unbelievable because he frees us. And I want to proclaim to you that everything the scriptures ever tell us, family, Everything that the scriptures ever tell us that we can't do or we shouldn't do is not because he's trying to kill our joy, but it's because of protection. It's because of God wanting to be honored and glorified in your life and knowing way better than you do because he is the good shepherd. So what I love about chapter 10 is this is a celebratory chapter where God is reminding us who he is and who we are and how we can rest in him. So, so the issue of of this, this whole latter piece, then we got the issue of the freedom of Jesus, but then we see the exclusivity of Jesus. That Jesus is saying, I'm the only, and, and, and see, I, I just think it's unbelievable how many times the Lord says this to us, how he wants us to understand that I am exclusively the only way that a person enters into a relationship with God of the universe. There is no other way. And I always thought that this wouldn't be a hard one, but this is a very hard thing in our community. We got all these churches, all these Baptist churches. I thought, well, this would be a thing that we'd have to argue with. And people will say they're Christians. But then you get, you, you pry long enough and you realize, well, they might, they, they say Jesus, but they also got all this other stuff too. Just like in the Old Testament. You see little golden calves in their closet. I'm like, what's that? You know, and it's because, you know, people, so we, we say, I, I love Jesus, but we're into astrology, right? I mean, astrology is just a known thing in a black church. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like welcome. So it's okay for you to be to love Jesus and to be a Sagittarius, you know, a Taurus or a Gemini, you know, because this is how this is how we, this is weird, though, because that's 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 a false God. 
That's saying that there's something else that, man, that manipulates the natural, that manipulates the natural realm. That's God's speech. Or I talk with people all the time, family, in our, in our body, um, or I'm sorry, outside in our community, and it's amazing to me how we're okay with, uh, this is what I believe, but if you, if a person wants to believe in Muhammad and all those, that's okay for them too. No, 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 no. In essence, for us to articulate that, we have now just said that we don't understand the exclusivity of Christ. That no, in essence, to, to say you love Jesus to say that you to love anything else is false. To have any to have any other say that there, there might be any other way, you have just nullified what you're saying about Christ. His love is exclusive. He demands exclusive loyalty. So when you see the text there, I love that he is the door, nothing else. And don't miss this. We're going to go ahead and read the, um, verse 11 through 13. Don't miss these, these verses here, family. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Hmm. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The I am statements. Are you guys familiar with the I am statements? Do we know, do we know any of them? Have we had any so far? What, what's been an I am statement so far? Do we remember one? Yeah, what was it? Oh, is it up there? Oh, good job. What did he say? He's right, though. Oh, is it up there? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so he makes, so he does throughout, what we're going to see throughout John is he provides what they call famously the seven I am's. Okay? Yeah, that's I am, but the I am statement is where he says I am and he gives us a, a subject matter of what he is. Where's the truth of life? I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. Okay, so he does these I am statements. Now, I don't want us to miss these I am statements, family, because they're, they're paramount to understanding John. See, see, the whole point, one of the main points of John is Jesus continually trying to place in our minds and our hearts of who Jesus is in relation to God, that he is himself God. And right here, so he says this whole sense of I am uh, the good shepherd. And, and we're going to see also down the road, um, we see here in 10, John 6, 35. So each one I'm going to pop up and we're going to add them up. Um, hopefully, and we'll keep them in our mind that these I am statements of who Jesus claims to be and then have us really wrestle with them because like it's really important. Subject man. Um, what I would like for us to understand, so when he says this I am statement here, it's, it's like, okay, so if he's a good shepherd, what does that mean? It seems that Jesus' plan of being a shepherd is very different than a shepherd's plan. Like what I mean by that. So a shepherd, see, I love this. So Jesus, his plan was to die for his sheep. That was, that's what his plan was. Think about a shepherd. A shepherd's plan is not to die for his sheep. His plan is to live. Right? He's, he's not planning on dying because, in essence, if the shepherd dies, the sheep are in trouble. 
But in actually here, in actuality, Jesus can only save his sheep if he dies. This is a beautiful picture of God using, using a term that everyone understood and flipping on its side, showing the reality that he planned to die for his sheep. Also, I want us to see, is there any questions there before I continue on? I want us to see the issue, the issue of, of stewardship. There's stewardship, the, the retelling of stewardship, recapitulation here. Um, so when we see God, that means, that means retelling. Recapitulation means, right. So stewardship is recapitulation, right? So he's, he's, re, he, he's retelling, and he's telling us that we get to retell this story. Let me go ahead and, um, and read the specific passage. He tells us, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good sheep lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is, is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Uh, then a wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Um, the man runs away because he is hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So when I was, um, just to I hope you understand what I mean by the retelling of the story. Let's start with a bad example. When we see here, he's saying, look, the issue with Jesus for these guys, he's saying, you know what? I'm upset and they're not doing what they're called to do. These leaders ushering the people to the family of God. But I get it because they have no ownership. They don't get it. He says, I, I get it. They're, they're just hired help. And I, and I think, when you think back in your life, think back now, you've worked at a, a fast food place. I worked at Subway for a minute, you know. And, and I remember our Subway used to get robbed a lot. And I remember this one lady, you know, she, everybody was clapping for her because she had a big old bruise on her head once, you know. The robber came in and she was trying to protect the store. I thought to myself, I said, are you kidding me? I don't own this place. Robber comes in here and be like, man, if the register right there, that's where the safe is. You can, hey, you don't, don't shoot me. You want me to make you a sandwich? Like, I don't care. Like, that's not my joint. There was absolutely no ownership. I'm just keeping it real. It was not my place. So, so I thought very differently. I made my sounds. I did what I was called to do. I did what I was paid to do. And I was not paid to get, to be shot or hit in the head with a Glock. I wasn't paid to die. I was paid to make sandwiches. Right? Anything else was, it was my job description isn't saving this place, bro. It's make sandwiches. So, Right. You guys have worked somewhere before, right? And you knew in your heart you was there to get paid. And you're like, anything else is kind of weird. I'm not going to... But then owners expect you to have the same ownership as they do. Right? Here's what's different. Jesus, what he does, I love this. He doesn't save you and he just simply says, I'm God and you're my minions and now work for me. What he does, the Bible says, he makes you and me co-heirs. Co-owners. Big difference now. You're not just saved and sitting and waiting for God to do whatever he's going to do and then just frolic in the fields of Jesus. God is saying, no, when I grabbed you and brought you into eternal life with me, I've made you owners of this thing. See, I'm the agent of recreation, but I'm using you also to recreate. And so the issue of stewardship for the people of God, we have to understand, God has given you the stewardship. He's given you the keys to the kingdom. Again, look at those verses that I've shared with you. And so he's saying, that's why he's so upset with these other shepherds. Because they had the stewardship, they were supposed to be in co-heirship, but they simply act like they were hired help. They simply said, Jesus, why are you expecting me to, you know, serve these sheep? To love these sheep? 
I'm just hired help. So hired help either just simply wants their check or on the slide are greedy and kind of getting their, you know, sometimes you know, I wasn't a Christian, y'all. I would type the sandwich up, but I wouldn't put the price down and slip the money in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? And stealing. See, hired help don't really care about the owner's possessions. And so either he just gets paid or he tries to even get more than he's supposed to get. And he provides that picture for us even in kingdom living. And he's saying, family of God, I want you to understand something. Don't think like the Pharisees, like the rulers of the law, like the Sadducees. You're not hired help. But when I died for you and rose for you, it was to place you in reign with me. With Jesus. Do you and me see ourselves reigning with the Lord? Not just Jesus reigning, but you reigning with him, family. See, that's an exciting discovery to understand your heirship. The trick of the enemy is for you to first think that Jesus does not reign and you do not reign. That's what happens every day in our life, that we have to battle that lie in our belief system. And so stewardship, why? He made us co-heirs. Why? So that you and me can retell the story of the gospel through our life. So that as we go through life, people see the gospel. It reminds the world, each person, can you imagine? I love the way the Lord did this. Our beautiful king said, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, I've, I've set the story out there. Now what I'm going to do is people are going to come to Christ, and then I'm going to have each person retell my story. So not only will the Bible tell people and judge the world and help the world understand who's a king, but then I got these walking Bibles walking around here and doing their love and their sacrificial service and their care for people and loving the poor and, and, and just serving and loving youth. And every time we do this, when we walk in the store and we're, and we're, we're, we're caring for people and we're other-centered, and it reminds people, not you're just a nice person, but that Jesus reigns and he reigns in you and he reigns through you. And that's what's supposed to happen. So you got millions of people retelling the gospel. It makes the world just go crazy. Go, I can't get away from the fact that Jesus did down the cross and rose from the dead. Can't even get away from it. Because there's people everywhere talking about it. And if they're not talking about it, they're living it. And that's how that little mustard seed begins to become an expansion where people can't even contain it. Because the gospel is going forth not only in word, but in deed and through people. People who own the kingdom. If you're a Christian, you are not renting. You are owning. God has given this to you. Unbelievable that the Lord, the beautiful Lord of creation would do that. I love that. So the wolf comes. That guy says, man, you can take the sheep. I'm not going to get killed. Are you kidding me? I'm not here for all that. And Jesus says, contrary, I came to die. Great question. Yes, here's why. Because all in creation, see, the beauty of mission and the gospel never starts with Jesus. It starts with the covenant. See, when God called his people, he didn't call them because they had anything to offer. He called them because of who he is. And he says, I want you to be my people. You're now holy. Now, here's what I want you to do. You're my people. I want you to make me known to other people. Here's how. As you live according to my ways, people are going to go, wow. With that kind of integrity, with the way that dude is loving his wife, I want to learn more about you Jewish people. 
You know, that's the extent of it. I don't even know what y'all do. I know y'all eat you know, the little funny bread and stuff. Okay, I want to learn more about you. All right, well, how do I become like you? Because I want to serve your God. Well, you need to become a Jew. That's a proselyte. Not just a Jew and just doing the rituals and things of that sort, but that a person would say, I believe your God is the God of the universe and not my false God because I made it. I saw myself make it. <laughs> um, so I want to serve your God. That's how the light of the nation was supposed to happen. But what the Jews did, they said, oh, we just love what we're doing. We love our thing. And so, yes, in a different way, we have more revelation, but they had a lot of revelation. And they had fully who God is, who he was, and their mission. Um, but it was, was shortchanged by being a thief and a robber, by being a, a short-circuit shepherd, by saying, you know what, I'm going to follow some rules. I'm going to do what I was told, just simply what I was told to do, and I'm going to add to those rules, and then I'm going to become a robber and a thief. So in essence, um, I would say they, they didn't have Jesus, like we look at Jesus as our king. They had the Father who was very clear what does it mean for them to express uh, the good news of God being the ruler of the world to the nations. Just for the sake, because I get in trouble every week, um, I'm going to continue to roll. Um, let me just move down right, uh, real quick. Uh, the scope of the gospel. Don't miss the scope in verse 16. You see that, guys? It says, I have other sheep that are not of, of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They, too, will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You see that? Now, that, now what I want to say here is in Acts 18... Um, in Acts 18, verse 10, I love how he talks about this whole issue of, of, for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in the city. I love how, okay, the gospel hasn't even been shared in the city yet, but he has many people in the city uh, that, that, love, that love the Lord. Um, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But look at this. Look at the worldwide scope of the gospel. So, so what he's saying here, he's saying to these guys, he's saying, guess what? You, you Jews, don't you understand? Like, this is not just about you. You see, verse 16, he's saying, this is bigger than you. I love how he says, there are sheep that I have uh, that are not of this fold, uh, but yet they're com- I'm coming to grab them, and we're going to all have one flock and one shepherd. Okay? Now, don't miss this. This is where we get into the theology of outreach. Okay? What are we trying to do when we go and reach out? I just want us to understand this. See, the, the outreach is hard. And here's why it's hard. Partially because it's hard. But also, sometimes I think our thinking is a little wrong. Okay, so, so if, is God asking us to just simply make bad people good, right? Is he, is he saying, oh, so there's a lot of bad stuff going on in our community. Let's make it good. So we're going to serve people, and as we love them and we're nice, they'll see how to be nice, you know, and then we all nice people. Right. Is, is that what we're trying to do? And then, oh, and then we throw a little Jesus on it. Right. And then we nice for Jesus. Is that what we're trying to do? Because I tell you, that, that, that gets you sad quick, because then when people are not nice and no matter what you do, they still mean they're still dogging you. You begin to falter and, and your evangelistic muscle begins to wean. But let me let me ask you this. What if we, we said, OK, there's twelve thousand people in the community. Just I'm throwing out a number. 12,000 people. And God said, Nate, buddy, you know, faithful at Burns, I, I'm telling you right now, there are 78 people in this community right now. Or, how does this go? There's 212 people in this community. Let's get a little bigger. 212 people in this community who, 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 who want to respond to the gospel, okay? 
And, and what I'm asking you guys is to go find them. I would, I would suggest to you that's what the scripture is teaching and that's sort of, that's what, that's what God is saying. Is he's not asking you to make sheep, he's asking you to find the sheep. And then as we present the gospel, they respond to the gospel. Very different. He knows who a sheep is. All we're doing, see what he said, he said the wolf comes, right? And what he does is he grabs some sheep, but then some get away and they run and scatter. And then Jesus walks in the scene and he says, guess what, Eve? Guess what, Brody? Your call as co-heirs, can you go find my sheep? Would you go find my sheep? They're out there. All right. Some went, some went on Rones. Some, some went on Burns. There's some on Fisher. Some walking up and down Mac right now. There's some on Gratiot. And what I need you to do, because I'm about to bring this thing home, I need you to gather my sheep so I can come on and return and fully recreate all things and fully make all things new. Now, if you knew that, if you knew there was 212, it would still be hard. But now as you go and talking to people, you, it's not personal. It's not personal anymore. You're just trying to find a sheep. So they dog you, you go, oh, I ain't going to cry. You must not be a sheep. <laughs> right? I, now I ain't mad. Why you, play, why you make fun of me? Why you cussing? Why, you know what I'm saying? Not, not, wait, now it ain't about you being white. Now it's not about you being black. Oh, I grew up in the hood. So? You growing up in the hood don't save nobody. Jesus saves. They're his sheep. He's already said they're his sheep. All he asking you to do is go find them. So now you don't got to play these games. You see what I'm saying? We waste so much try- time trying to talk people into Jesus. Where Jesus already said, these are my sheep. So we had a girl yesterday in outreach, right? Unbelievable outreach. I mean, all five families came. No, I'm just kidding. Whew, it was like, mm-hmm. So, but we're learning, y'all. We're learning. So, the, 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 so I'm sitting there with the lady, and we share. What we do is we'll have the outreach, we share the gospel, and I'm, I'm talking with the lady. And, I mean, she literally, um, me and Caleb, see, dog, we were talking, and Caleb started talking to her about the gospel, and then Brian started sharing the gospel. We had the guy share the gospel a little bit. And, man, she starts, like, looking, texting, whatever. And I'm just like, you know, and some people, you know, some of y'all get kind of mad at me. Cause I, but see, I believe, this, I believe this theologically, and I want my life to be informed by theology and move in line of it. And so I'm like, well, if you're not ready, I'm not kicking you to the curb. It just might not be your time. I don't know. But I'm just saying, if you don't want to hear the gospel, I'm not going to force you to hear the gospel. So I said, let me ask you a question. How did I say it? I forget. I was just like, you know, so do you want to take your picture, or do you want to get an opportunity to hear the gospel? And you know what she said, basically? She had excuses. You know, well, I, 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 want, I want to hear it some other time, but I just got to, okay, go take your picture. Because we, we're not playing. I don't, I'm not trying to talk you in anything. I'm not selling you makeup. Or, you know, I'm not competing. Jesus is not competing. I always say, he's not, he's not in some marketing ploy. It's not like Procter & Gamble and Kodak and Jesus, and they're all competing for the viewer. You know, and it's like there's Newports and cigarettes, and then there's Jesus. No! Jesus is not competing for your allegiance. He's the king. He deserves your allegiance. So all Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm the king. Do you want me to, do you want me to rule with you? Do you, want to be one, do you want to be a co-heir with me? And then you can say, yeah or no. He goes, okay. Nothing personal. If you knew there was 212, wouldn't that give you more fervor to not take it personal and just go and say, Lord, and you get to 120, you get to 203, 
And now you know, say if you got the 203, but you had a couple of packed streets, but you know you got 50 more to go. Right? But you already got 203, but, you, but he said 212 now. So you're telling me, Jesus, I got to go to all 40 other streets, whatever, and find 12, you know, find nine more people, whatever. But now you know there's nine, so now you're just like, okay. I mean, can you imagine how radical you'll be? Do you want to hear about Jesus or not? No, don't be like that, y'all. But are you understanding the point of the scripture, though, family? The theology of outreach is that there's, they're God's sheep. They're his people. He has grabbed them. He brings them to himself. And all we are doing here, all we are doing here, family, the reason why we do these corner stores, the reason why we're renovating houses, the reason why we do all this stuff is to let the world know that actually the person you're looking for, see, basically the good news is this, that the king you've been looking for, he's here. That's the good news. He's here. His name is Jesus, and he created you, and he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. But not on your terms, on his terms. Will you receive that? Will you experience new life, or will you continue to live a life of fakeness? That's, that's, that's what we're doing. That's why we do all this. Don't ever get it twisted, family. That's why we're doing this. And that's why we can be bold. That's why we can, think we can continue to love people. We can continue to put ourselves out there. Because all we're doing is asking the Lord, reveal us your sheep, Jesus. I'm going to jump down. Um, I'm going to read through and just, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, guys, again. Um, I love one of, my famous, one, one of the most famous passages uh, in Scripture um, is, is verse 18, when he says, he says, verse 17, he says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Basically showing the power of God. Then he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down. Um, you see where I'm at, verse 18? Yeah, I just read 17, now I'm at 18, I'm sorry. So that was 17, now I'm reading 18. It says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Uh, talking about the life of Christ, that, that he's not, no one's taking his life. Like, it's not that he's walking and then somebody takes his life. And then he shows that over and over again in Scripture where they say, you know, I'm going to beat you up, Jesus, I'm going to kill you. And then Jesus walks right past him. And he says, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received uh, from my father. Um, I love that reality of, of God's power um, and his scope. Uh, what I want to do, um, I'm going to actually, just for the sake of time, it's 1236, I'm going to pause here and we're going to reconvene um, with the end of chapter 10 next week, if that's okay. Um, is that okay, guys? Because I, I went too far, I apologize. Um, what I, what I want us to understand, though, I want us to uh, really wrestle with this reality of a couple things. We can wrestle with the reality of what does it mean for Jesus to be the shepherd? What does it mean for Jesus to give us freedom? What is the, what is the exclusivity of Jesus, like, in your own life? Like, is Jesus, when you think of the Lord, when you think of the Lord of your life, is he the king of your life? Is your total, are you enamored? Are you just, do you adore Christ? Or do you just, are you just a Christian? Like, are you just kind of... You know, I, I get the tenants and stuff, and I'm sort of want to do that stuff. Or are you continually asking the Lord to birth in your heart a passion, a passion, an undeniable passion for who Jesus is, the person of Christ, as your shepherd? Then I want you to, um, an application this week, work, just ask the Holy Spirit while you work on this. Ask God, Lord, continue to remind me as I look at the text here, as you talk about the bad shepherds and the good shepherds, don't miss this. Lord, help me see that you are good. Is God good? 
We got, we got, uh, there's a family, there's a, there's a family member here struggling with cancer right now. We all have circumstances. And the question we have to ask ourselves through infertility, through bum kidneys, through cancer, whatever it is, is God good? Uh, one of the most amazing lines for me is uh, the movie you guys have seen, Chronicles of Narnia, read the books. And don't you love that passage uh, uh, when uh, the little, little rabbit lady, whatever, she's like, you know, I mean, they're talking about, um, they're talking about Aslan. He says, well, is he, is he safe? I mean, you know, is he safe? And she says, no. And this is the God figure they're talking about. He's not safe, but he's good. Is God good? Wrestle with that this week. Don't wrestle with it in your minds. Read your scriptures. Read through John. Read over and over again John chapter 10. And wrestle with, is God good? And how does that affect my life? All right? That's our homework. You got the homework, Tamika? All right. Is God good? And we're going to reconvene with 10 next week, okay, guys? And we'll be done with 10, and we'll keep marching on. Let me pray for us. And then um, what we're going to do right now, we're going to do a tithe and offering. And then uh, I'll close us in prayer, too. Can we get the people? Hey, Lee, tithe and offering? So here's, here's what we do with tithe and offering, guys. If you need-